Hello everyone, hello everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are preparing for Sukkot. Uh, and if you saw the last class that we did uh, about Sukkot, you have a general idea of what the Sukkah, the structure of the Sukkah is. We talked about the unification, that the whole secret of the structure of the Sukkah itself is a unification between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. But, let you know, I want to go back a little bit uh, to the original start of the process uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. Of course, in the middle we have Yom Kippur. So, I'll make it brief. I'll try. Uh, so, Rosh Hashanah is basically the day that Adam was born. Okay? And uh, according to the sages and the Kabbalists, uh, we know what happened with Adam. There was a sin, and a sin basically means uh, an introduction of selfish desire, because everything was in the purest state uh, in, in this time of creation. And there was, whatever exactly the sin was, we won't go into this idea, but it was the injection of selfish desire. We call it the desire for the self, or the desire for oneself alone. And uh, because of this, there was a disconnect. So, uh, you know, the Bible story is only telling us part of how, how the situation works. Of course, we know the Bible is a code and the story is the story, but there's a lot more that meets the eye. So um, we know Rosh Hashanah is the time of what is called Nisira. Nisira. It's cutting. It's a cutting away. It means it's a disconnect between the source of the spiritual light of the Creator and the Malchut, as we call it. Malchut represents us, our world, and the physical reality, and so on. And so there's a disconnect. Now, can anything live without the Creator's light? And the answer is no. Humanity cannot go on without the Creator's light. Even the table, the chair that I'm sitting on, cannot go on without the Creator's light. It has atoms, it has force, it has energy. That All of that energy, any energy, comes from the Creator. That never changes. But we do create disconnects. We, with our actions, we create disconnections. And so in Rosh Hashanah, we have to understand this kind of scenario, uh, and I'll try to kind of make it... Uh, plain, in a plain way, to understand this rather complex idea of nisira, of sowing, or of disconnection that occurs in Rosh Hashanah. This disconnection ultimately is for the sake of reunification, but on a, on a, a, in a better way. And I'll explain to you what I mean. Let's say a uh, man meets a woman, and... Uh, he really, he really wants to go on a date with this woman. They go out on a date, and they're really getting along really well. And they're connecting. They're getting closer and closer with each other. Eventually, maybe they 
they get married and they unify with each other. That's what a marriage is. They become unified. Now, as things happen, uh, let's say in this relationship, uh, the man begins to misbehave and take advantage and take for granted. And, um, you know, since things, things like that. Now it's hard to be close and unified when, uh, you know, when, when in that situation, right? So there's a, there's a drifting apart of sorts. And it may get so bad that the woman says, look, you know, maybe she says to herself, I don't want your, I don't want your stuff anymore. We're going to separate. And we're going to separate. And now you have to make a decision. Either you shape up or ship out. That's the nature of the beast. So now the man has a choice. Hmm, what should I do? Should I ship out or do I, should I shape up? Now we call this shaping up teshuvah, repentance. Meaning that our, all of our negative activity during the year has accumulated. We call that dinim, judgments, negative forces that create blockages in our life. And they accumulate. You see, uh, the Rosh Hashanah occurs in the seventh month, which is Libra. Now, Libra begins the seven female months. So we have to understand, you know, a little Kabbalistic astrology. You see, there are six male months and there are six female months. The six male months begin in Aries, and that's the month where Pesach is... And Pesach, we plan our future. We have a Seder plate. We have the, you know, uh, Seder plate, or as I might call it, the spiritual brain of what's going to be for the future of the year. We're doing our best to eliminate the chametz. And the chametz represents the selfish desire, the ego, the seed level of what causes us the desire for the self alone, or sin. And... That's what we're doing in Pesach, in the first month of the year. We plan the future. We plan the future. And so, uh, after we've planned our future, <laughs> sorry, after we've planned our future, then we, you know, we play, play out that life, right? For six months. Now, what happens when we get to the month of Libra or, 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 or the month of Elul, we prepare. Elul, we already begin to think the month of Virgo. You know, Virgo is very good for pointing things out, you know, uh, looking for the dirt, looking for problems, looking for corrections, looking for where do I need to fix things. And that's the prep preparation for the month of Libra, okay? For the month of Libra, uh, where we find Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, all in the month of Libra. Why the month of Libra? Why? Why? What makes this month so special? Well, it begins the female months. Now, female we call the vessel. 
female is always going to be a vessel. A vessel reflects, if you can imagine, the projector, the first six months are like the projector of energy. We put energy out, and in the beginning of the month of Libra, the seventh month, we begin, that energy begins to reflect back to us. It's like a projector in the screen. The screen reflects back the movie. Of course, without the screen, you don't have a movie, even if the projector is on. So when that happens right away in the first day of the month, we have Rosh Hashanah. Now, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of that reflection. Now, what if, let's say, theoretically, all of the energy that I put out I, I made so many mistakes. I hurt so many people. I did bad. Well, you know, what goes around comes around. And it's going to come around, right? And the theoretical, again, not limited by time, but the, the, the energetic or spiritual coming around begins in the month of Libra. And that's when Rosh Hashanah is. So when one is a part of Rosh Hashanah, then he's going, or she is going, through a process of Nisirah. So what is this process of Nisirah? Well, all of the negativity that I created, it's like, what, it's like that couple in the relationship. The woman said, you know what, I had enough of you. And, you know, you go. Go away. Go away. And I leave you with all of your negativity. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get busy and I need to clear my head. And this is, in fact, the relationship between what we call the Ze'eran Pin or the creator force, how we receive spiritual energy in life, and the vessel, us. So there's the separation. There's a gradual separation as we get towards Rosh Hashanah. In Rosh Hashanah, there's a cutting away. So I, I'm trying to explain it in the simplest terms possible, but there's a disconnect. And again, that's when the woman says, you, go. And you've been already practicing this decision of cleansing, right? It doesn't happen all at once. Rosh Hashanah begins a 10-day process, which we call the 10 days of repentance, where we're having the opportunity to clean. But for the protection of the vessel, there is this disconnect. It's a death in a way. You know, uh, you know my teacher used to explain it interest, in an interesting way that, you know, when you cut the head off a chicken, he's dead. I mean, how can you live without a head? But, you know, he's still running around. <laughs> it's like, stupid, don't you know you're dead? Oh, he's still running around for whatever reason. But spiritually, there's still life force, even though there's a, a, a spiritual death of sorts. And that is the opportunity to be, be in, involved with the cleansing process. And if we, you know, make those choices that we do want, we have desire, we want to cleanse, we definitely want to change elevate, we want to do more, better, higher things this coming year. So, eventually there's a reunification, okay? I, and I'm I just 
not getting into all of the details, but there's a reunification. Now that reunification takes place when? Simchat Torah. When we dance with the Torah and we're very, very happy and joyous. So what is the purpose of what is the purpose of the sukkah? Well, we explained, but we didn't, you know, get into all the details of the purpose of the sukkah. Because as a result of the doing the job in the 10 days between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, see in Yom Kippur, we already uh, made a very high level of connection with something called Bina, with the level of Bina. Now Bina is called Ahavat Chesed, the lover of mercy. And why is that? Because Bina is the spiritual mother. The Zohar, the holy Zohar, calls it Ima Ila'a, the exalted mother or the upper mother. What is that? That is the source of the light of mercy in our life. The source of the light of mercy in our life. Now, what is the light of mercy? Well, if you're asking, that's a very good question. So the Kabbalists explain there are two types of light, two types of spiritual light. Of course, there's one, one creator. But again, we, we never connect in a direct way to the source of creation, never. And therefore, there are different names, holy names, and different levels, and so on and so forth, and ways for us to create uh, unification with the Creator's light, through prayers, through different uh, kavanot, meditation, intention, uh, what we do, and so on, the actions, mitzvot, and all these things are all different tools that we use to connect with the Creator's light. But, the Kabbalists explain that light has two different segments, we should, we should say, or two types. Or the chasadim, the light of mercy, which from, for which the source is bina, light of mercy, and or the chokhmah, the light of wisdom. Now the light of wisdom comes from the next level of the sefirot, higher up, chokhmah. Light of Chokmah. Now, what is the difference? Now, this level of Chokmah is pretty much the closest that we can get to the Creator's light. The light of Chokmah is basically everything in our life. Everything that we want in our life is coming from that place called the light of Chokmah. I'll give you an example. Are you hungry? Well, if you're hungry, the satisfaction in whichever way that you will get from the eating of your food, that's the light of Chokhmah. Uh, do you, are you lonely? Do you want to have a relationship? Well, the fulfillment of having a relationship is the Creator's light that comes from the light of Chokhmah. Do you want a, a Parnasa? Do you want sustenance and livelihood in your life? You want money? Well, the energy of that money that will fulfill you, it, you know, and depending on what you want from that money, because for everyone it's different. Some people want freedom, their needs, security. Some people want to uh, 
have uh, ability, whatever. Ask 20 different people, you get 20 different answers. Above and beyond the basic needs. But it's all the same. It's really the light of Chochmah. It's the Creator's light. You know, the Creator's light is one. We have to always remember that. But if you shine a white light through a prism, you know, that crystal piece of a glass, it comes out all different colors, seven visible colors, some invisible colors. So is it one light or is it many lights? Well, the answer is, it's both. Of course, the source is one. Avram Avinu, Abraham the patriarch said, it's one God. And so that is explained in the Sefi Yitzirah. But that one God is part of everything. Part of, it's part of this watch. The creator is part of my watch. Does that sound crazy? No, if I can get fulfillment, if it can give me bracha, blessing in life, there's only blessing from one thing, a watch. If it didn't have the creator in it, it didn't have the light of Hashem in it, it couldn't give me, it couldn't make me feel good. It wouldn't be there for me. And I hope we understand this as a, as a principle. When we say God is everywhere, the light of Hashem is everywhere. And how does that, and how does that uh, manifest in our life? In everything. Anything we can take pleasure in, anything that can fulfill us, is only one thing. Only one thing can fulfill us. That's the light of the Creator, the light of Hashem. But in an infinite amount of ways, all the... Uh, tefillot, the prayers and mitzvot, the precepts and everything that we do in spiritual work is to give us an ability to connect to the Creator's light. You know, people can have everything and not be happy. I mean, I don't need to convince anyone of that, right? So there's only one thing that can make us happy. And it's only one thing we're ever after, even if we don't know about it. It's only the Creator's light, the light of Hashem. So, with that in mind, there are two parts to any complete structure of the Creator's light, says the Kabbalist in the Ten Luminous Emanations, the Talmud Esesfirot, which of course is the deeper study. Perhaps we'll get to study that together one day is, again, the light of mercy and the light of wisdom. So what is this light of wisdom or the Chochmah? That's what I want. Whatever attracts me to anything, that's what I want. If I went to the store because I wanted a watch, ah, that was one part of the light of Chochmah. And then I saw this watch and I said, oh my God, wow, I gotta have that watch. What was attracting me really? The light of Hashem in that watch for me because I have a vessel for that watch. Does everybody? No, not necessarily. But I did and that's why I went out and bought it. We have to realize that again, there's only one thing attracting us. So that's the light of wisdom. The light of wisdom is what attracts us. It's like the goal. It's like the end game. In any situation in life, in any decision in life. But can that just come on its own? Not at all. It can't. 
It cannot come on its own and stay with us. There are rules to this, you know, situation. There are rules to the mechanism of how the fulfillment works. I mean, and a lot of people would say, well, God's light should be free. Well, yes and no. I mean, we breathe, the air, our heart beats. Who causes that? Only the Creator. Our cells move, the atoms move. Who causes that? Only the light of the Creator. We have a soul that makes us alive. You know, all of these things, this is only the light of the Creator. But the mechanical things that we came here to do, decisions and uh, what I should do with life and all these other things, how I act, how I treat others, this is left to us. We were given the keys to say, okay, here you go. Let's see what you can do because that's what we wanted. Again, this really wasn't the creator's idea. It was us who desired it and we have this world to do it in. And so that light of Chochmah doesn't, just come on its own when we have a desire, just because we have a desire. I mean, it could, we could skip some steps, but, you know, there's such a thing as, uh, let's say, an instant gratification or taking things that may not belong to me, and that will be tremendously fulfilling, but not for long, not for long, not forever, certainly not. That light will go away eventually. And that's why things go away. They go away because we don't truly, we didn't create the place for that light, that fulfillment to be. And here we come with the light of chasadim, the order chasadim, the light of mercy. What is this light of mercy? It's the effort and the energy that we put in to creating the spiritual vessel, the real place that we can, we can bring in that light of wisdom. The Kabbalists call it the clothing, levush. It's the clothing of the light of wisdom. Now, if I want to eat, I can't just, you know, and eating, maybe it's a good example, because I at least need to go to the restaurant and pay the money for the food. Well, I got to go to the kitchen. I got to get up out of the chair. I got to go to the kitchen. I got to, you know, I got to prepare the food. You know, this, there's a payment required. There's effort required. What am I doing? I'm creating the light of mercy. And then when I eat, finally I eat, what am I receiving now? I'm enjoying the light of wisdom. So the light of mercy is actually, it's, it's, it's many, many things, and I don't want to limit it, but it's the energy, it's the effort that we draw down by creation. It's a creative idea, and that's why it comes from Bina. Bina is also called Bria, the level of Bria, which means creation. It's something that I need to create to draw light that I can't create. Obviously, we don't create the, the, the light of the Creator. That comes, that's drawn from the Creator. But the, but the clothing is something that we put here. This is what we're here for, to create the clothing. The sharing that we do or the effort that we make. And not all sharing is light of mercy. 
probably for another class, right? But it's the effort. So it can t take the form of mental effort, physical effort, both. There's effort required. When I want to get angry or I become a reactive person in life, I'm, it's a disconnect for us, of course, but you know, in order not to, I have to stay, wait a second, maybe I have to make a lot of effort not to react this way. Maybe I need to think logically for a moment, or maybe I need to speak differently so people will be able to hear me, and so on. That's a mental effort that creates light of mercy. So there's light of wisdom waiting over there, but I will push it away if I don't create that light of wisdom, uh, light of mercy in that moment by making the effort of pushing away my anger and doing something more productive. Okay, so this light of mercy is like gold. We're not here for the light of mercy, by the way. We're not, you know, here to be sharing people. We're here to receive the Creator's light. But the for better or worse, we are put here, and the only mechanism by which we can really achieve the Creator's light is by the creation of the light of mercy, by helping, by doing actions of kindness. But we should always keep in mind what the end game is. The end game is that God wants to give us the whole purpose of the creation. Lehetiv to do good for his creation. We are created as vessels to receive, but we have to know how, and therefore, Kabbalah. The word Kabbalah means what? Receiving. Therefore, we must always learn new and better ways of how to perfect ourselves. Perfection of oneself is learning how to properly receive. That's a life work. Life work is learning how to be the best receiver. But, you know, in the process, we may learn also how to be the best helper, the best giver, the best sharer, the best, uh, more, most productive person. Because it's all about the effort. We're here for the effort. We're here to make the effort. But the, but the goal is that the Creator will able to give us. In fact, according to the Kabbalist, in the time of Mashiach, if we will be that evolved, spiritually evolved, our only receiving will be why? To give pleasure to the Creator. You know, can you imagine looking for new ways to desire, to have more desire because you just want to give pleasure to God? Because it's a pleasure for the Creator to give us. But we have to allow the Creator to give us. And the Creator cannot give us long-term. I mean, the Creator gives us right away. Even a thief, the Creator gives that energy of satisfaction. But it doesn't stay. There's a mechanism in our soul that says, no, no, disconnect. The same thing that happens in Rosh Hashanah, there's a disconnect. That's what happens. And so, with that explanation in mind, we can have an understanding of the benefit, the importance, and the whole beautiful scenario that the
the Torah, the, the Creator's Torah gave us by giving us these events to tap in to different forces. Because even if we can't create enough light of mercy in potential ourselves, what the Creator do? Gave us Yom Kippur to connect to the seed level and Sukkot to manifest that for us. Because what is Sukkot? It rains down light of mercy or Dechasadim, the light of mercy that we can store it seven days according to the seven sefirot of the physical world. We can store this light of mercy. We store the light of mercy. Unless we think it all comes from us. You know, I'm a good person and I know how to make effort and I know how to share. Now, it doesn't mean we do it right and we do it balanced and that it works in a positive way for us. doesn't mean. Remember, the three areas of our life where we need this is health, wealth, and all of our relationships, all of our financial matters, all of our relationships, and all of our health matters. When something is suffering, there's only one thing suffering. A lack somewhere of the light of mercy. Because where the light of wisdom is present, there can be no illness, there can be no problem, there can be no lack of any kind. Is there a lack of the Creator's light ever? Is there a lack of atoms in the world? No, never. But there's only one lack. There's a lack of vessel. There's a lack of enclothement. And that enclothement only comes from the light of mercy. And so therefore, that light of mercy is important in every area of our life, especially the area of our tikkun the area of our karmic corrections. Now, we all have karmic corrections in different areas, in behavior, in health, in our finances, or more than one, right? I mean, we're, we're fortunate if there's only one area where we, you know, have lacks, but this is, this is, what, this is, this is how it works. So, you know, during the year, we're given different tools to connect to this light of mercy that I can use it to house the light of wisdom which I need for my health, for my wealth. For You know, we have the Shema Yisrael as an example. The Shema Yisrael is a tool, part of the tefillot, part of the prayers and meditations to connect with the light of mercy. That's why we say, we call it a healing prayer because of the 248 words that connect with 248, you know, uh, parts of our soul our bone segments, because it houses the light of wisdom. Because light of wisdom by itself, even though, you know, it comes more directly from the Creator, not necessarily a good thing for us. We can't handle that. Imagine putting your finger in the electrical outlet. You're getting lots of energy, yeah, but we can't handle it. And therefore, you know, there are ways for us to utilize Hashem's energy, right? Uh, we, we can't plug in directly, the light of Hashem is endless. We are not endless. We are limited beings. And therefore, we need to know how to receive that spiritual light. That's the purpose of the holiday of Sukkot 
and the sukkah specifically. So the holiday itself gives something, the sukkah gives something. It's all about the lulav and the etrog that we shake. Also give different levels of the light of mercy and different levels of correction. You know, the while the sukkah itself is like the mother, the lulav is specifically a correction for male, male energy correction, without going now into the details, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge spiritual correction uh, for, for the sin of Adam, for sexual uh, blockages, um, and for all types of things that can be blocking us in life and sustenance. It's to help re-establish the flow of the light of mercy so that, and, and remember, it's, all, uh, it's a little bit like a bank because we're doing this for the year. It's not for a day or the seven days of the holiday. We're utilizing these very powerful spiritual tools to, uh, you know, build our bank account so that, you know, during the year we're drawing upon it, drawing exactly what we need for the year, right? And, and, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to accomplish over here. So I don't want to go over my time, but uh, next video, we'll try to get into the seven days of Sukkot itself and how to bring about world peace with the seven days of Sukkot. So stay tuned. Chag Sameach, everyone. Lots of love. And I look forward to seeing you on the next video. God bless.